This is what a winner looks like. Yep. Those of you who don't know, um, I uh, won the uh, costume contest yesterday for the adults. But that guy standing next to me right there is the real winner. Um, I don't know if you can read his name tag or if you can just tell by his good looks. Uh, he was dressed up as me. Ezra was Josh for Halloween. Uh, still not totally sure how to take that. Uh, that was a compliment. Or uh, <laughs> uh, He's got his, his, his big old backpack of gizmos uh, over there. He had a little drone and cameras, a selfie stick and all that, and a gorgeous full mustache and beard uh, painted on there. Uh, I thought it looked a little thin, but it's okay. Still flattered. Um, had a lot of fun hanging out with you guys yesterday. I think everybody did, so thanks Bruce and Victoria and everybody who put that on yesterday. Um, Luke set a new precedent last week for preaching. Uh, he preached for 51 minutes, so um, I think that that is what I'm allowed to do now. Um, at least, as he put it, uh, preach for 45 minutes and cry for five. Uh, so uh, I'm going to take full advantage of that today. Um, <clears throat> we are in uh, the book of Exodus, I'm sure, as you recall. Um, and uh, up to this point, we have seen um, the Lord uh, hear Israel cry out for help, and uh, he answers with a mighty hand, and he uh, sends plagues on the Egyptians, and uh, he has delivered them uh, through the Red Sea on dry ground, and now they are on uh, the other side. And um, <clears throat> there's this really, really, uh, this thing that keeps coming up over and over and over again. It starts with um, Pharaoh, uh, Moses goes to Pharaoh, and he says uh, these, uh, these words. He says, um, I do not know Yahweh. Okay. And then uh, I, think, I think I counted, I think it was uh, at least 15 times uh, after that, uh, the book of Exodus says, uh, or God says in the book of Exodus, you shall know that I am Yahweh. And you shall know that I am uh, the ruler, uh, I'm the God of the whole earth. You shall know that I distinguish between Israel and Egyptians. And over and over and over again, he says, you shall know that I am the Lord. And so... There's this really, I think uh, Luke has already talked about this in one of his sermons uh, whenever he said that, uh, whenever that came up a whole lot. But today in our passage, we're going to find, uh, and we're in Exodus 18, if you want to go ahead and go there. Uh, we see the first time that somebody, that, that changes from you shall know, you shall know, you shall know, they shall know, he shall know, she shall know, to somebody finally says, I know. See, uh, if you go down to uh, Exodus 18, verse 11, uh, I guess we'll start, let's start in verse 10. Uh, Jethro says, Blessed be Yahweh, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 11, he says, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. 
We finally found somebody who gets it. The first guy. God says, you're going to know. You're going to know. They're going to know. He's going to know. Everybody's going to know. I am Yahweh. I am greater than all gods. And Jethro is the first one that we see come around and says, I know. Now I know that Yahweh is God. I know that he's greater than all gods. And this is a huge moment. because, And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the backstory of Jethro and who he was. But Jethro was a pagan priest. He was like the leader, and uh, some people think that he was the priest, like he was the high priest of the, of the religion that he ran. Uh, he was a, this is, this is essentially this story that we're reading. This would be like hearing an imam at the mosque down the street say, now I know that Jesus is the Christ. This is amazing. This is a huge deal. This is supposed to be something that we see and we read and we go, oh my gosh, Jethro, the pagan priest, the guy who worshiped all those other gods, he's come around now and he's saying, I know that Yahweh is greater than all other gods. This is amazing. This is huge. So today we're going, I want, what I want to do is... Um, over the past few, like every week, uh, we each have, usually we're preaching like three or four chapters like in one week, and so we're kind of just like flying through a whole lot. Uh, today's going to be kind of the opposite. Um, I was given just one chapter to preach, and I'm not even going to preach half of it. Uh, we're just going to preach the very first part um, because I think this is so important because isn't this what it's all about? Living to see people say, now I know that Yahweh is God. Now I know that Jesus is the Christ. That's why we're here. That's the goal, is to see that happen. So what I want to do is I want to just take a look at Jethro's life and just what happened uh, to lead him from being the high priest of a pagan religion to going and saying, you know what? The Lord, he's God. He's greater than all gods. So let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, uh, I'm insufficient to represent you well uh, today on my own. Um, Holy Spirit, I ask for your help. And I pray that you would lead us, all of us, uh, closer to you today. Equip us, Lord Jesus, uh, to lead people to this revelation that you are greater than all gods. Ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, we'll go ahead. Like I said, we're in Exodus 18. So go there. Um, before I start reading, I want to just give a little bit of backstory about Jethro, a little bit about him. We already talked about how he was uh, a pagan priest. Um, so Moses, uh, he, whenever he murdered the Egyptian, we know that he ran away from Egypt. He was scared, and he went to um, this place. That's a little hard to see, um, but if you look over on the top left, that's where, uh, that's where Ramses was. That's where Moses lived, and uh, in the middle, you got Sinai right there, and then Moses ran all the way over to uh, that place right there called Midian, and that's where Jethro lived, and that's where Moses uh, spent 40 years uh, shepherding and running away from, um, from Egypt. So that's where he was at, and uh, whenever Moses left, 
he went over to Midian, and the first thing he found was seven damsels in distress at a well, and they were going to try to feed their flock or water their flock. And Moses goes up, and he uh, chases off the bullies. And uh, as a thank you, the father of these seven ladies, Jethro, uh, invites him over to dinner and gives him a wife. So here you go. Just uh, be nice to pretty ladies, guys, and their dads might just uh, give you one as a wife. Um, so if you're going to do something for a nice lady, make sure that she's pretty, okay? Uh, just kidding. Uh, so that is how we meet Jethro, okay? And so Jethro becomes his father-in-law, and um, later on, we see that these two had a pretty good relationship. Like Moses, uh, whenever he uh, left... He asked Jethro for permission to go back to Egypt, and Jethro uh, blessed him and let him go on his way. And so that is the last that we saw of Jethro. That was back in Exodus chapter 4. And so now uh, all this stuff has happened between then. Uh, I'm pretty sure Moses didn't even tell Jethro that God had spoken to him. Uh, he just told him, hey, I need to go see if my family's okay back in Egypt. And so a lot has happened between then. Uh, he has seen God tear open the Red Sea. They walked through on dry ground, the plagues, all that stuff. Water came out of a rock. Uh, a lot of really amazing things God has been doing for Moses and the people of Israel. Okay, so that is where we pick it up. That's kind of the history between Jethro and Moses, and that'll be important in just a second. So we're picking up in verse 1. It says, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how Yahweh had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after she had, he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Okay. All right. Um, if you didn't catch that, Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. He says it like six times uh, in three verses. He said, I, Jethro, your father-in-law. Uh, I have an uncle who does this. Uh, for some reason, he, uh, anytime he sees any family member, he, go, he goes up to my mom, for example, he goes, Julie, I'm your brother. <laughs> and so I just, this reminds me of uh, that uncle who's kind of goofy. Uh, but anyway, but it seems like really redundant. He goes up, Jethro, every single time. It says, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, said this, did this, all that. So let me just put this in perspective just in case you're like, oh, the Bible doesn't really apply to my life. Uh, what's really going on here, if you want to just break it down and make it really simple, uh, Moses' in-laws just came in town. Anyone relate? It's about to be Christmas, and the holidays are here, um, and you're going to be seeing your in-laws too, probably, if you have them. Um, and, you know, it's like, it's almost too cliche and easy to make jokes about in-laws just because, like, everybody seems to struggle with their in-laws. You get, like, Christmas, like, have you ever heard anybody say, this is me trying to tell jokes now, so you can laugh if you want. Uh, but uh, have you ever heard anybody say, like, you know, the question about Christmas comes out, where you're like, you know, what's your favorite part about Christmas? 
Have you ever heard anyone ever say, I'm going to see my in-laws this year? No. <laughs> uh, so people, like I said, it is a cliche. It's right, you know, some, I, I know why some of y'all aren't laughing is because your in-laws are sitting like right behind you right now. So uh, here we go. I knew I could make one in-law joke land. Uh, and that's the one. Uh, the sooner you laugh, the, the sooner I stop trying to make jokes. Uh, so in-laws. Moses' in-laws have come into town, Jethro, okay? Now, okay, now I'm kind of joking about the whole in-law thing, but people really do, like, most people are not, your, most people's favorite people are not uh, their in-laws, okay? Um, and I want to ask you this question, why did God give you in-laws? Was it just to test us? Test your faith? I don't think so. I think the reason that God gave you in-laws is the same reason that he gave you every other relationship in your life, and that was to bring them to the knowledge of the living God. Most of us, when we think about going to see our in-laws, we, our main goal is survival. I want to get out of here uh, as soon as possible with as little drama as possible. Okay? But what if that is not what God put your in-laws in your life for? Uh, Mia Maritza, uh, whenever we go to see her in-laws, uh, I have, uh, let me say, I'm going to say that uh, I never fight Maritza, or I mostly never fight Maritza whenever we go to see her in-laws. Uh, and here's my confession. Uh, I don't love to go over to my in-laws' house either, okay? Uh, it's not my favorite thing to do. Um, they don't have video games or, like, any of the fun things that I like to do. Uh, and so when we go over there, it's not my favorite thing to do. There's always, uh, there's drama going on. Like, she is not talking to her because she said this. And there's, like, literally a million kids running around and, like, Somebody's, there's always bodily fluids somewhere, like some kid is throwing up or like peeing their pants or it's just really dirty and gross and there's always one guy at least who's drunk. There's somebody who's drunk all the time. Doesn't matter what time you show up, there's somebody there who's drunk, okay? Um, and you can probably relate. Like this probably is not, I'm probably not unique in that. And so whenever we go over there, I'm not super excited to go. But the thing is, I never fight Maritza or I mostly never fight Maritza on going to see her in-laws because I know that whenever I go, I'm not just going to survive or get through it. I'm actually going on a mission. Because I know that her family, like mine, needs an encounter with the living God. So when I go, I'm not just thinking about getting through it. I go, and I'm, I'm on a special mission. I'm there to love on kids. I'm there to show I'm usually one of the only males there, one of the only adult males there. And so I'm there to show what it looks like for a husband to love his wife and speak kindly to her. I'm there to show what it looks like to love your kid and be gentle with them. I'm there to go and talk to awkward, confused preteens and tell them that they're amazing and that Jesus loves them. Because I'm on a mission. Because... God put my in-laws in my life for the same reason that he put every other relationship in my life, and that's to lead people closer to Jesus. You see, there's this idea that comes up over and over and over again, especially in uh, Exodus, and it's the idea of priesthood. 
uh, in the passage that we're going to read next week, and I think Luke referenced it last week, is that God goes and he tells Moses this amazing thing. You see, priests in every religion, and some water, priests in every religion, including ancient Israel, and today pretty much any religion, a priest's job is to be the mediator, the liaison between people and God. They're the go-between. And they have a relationship with the God, and they have a relationship with the people, and their job is to bring the two closer together, right? And there's this amazing, and it's this huge honor, and uh, it's an amazing thing to be a priest. It's always something that's very respected and in a culture, because it's, it's something that not many people can do. But this amazing thing is what Luke told us last week, is that God said that Israel was going to be a kingdom of priests. All the people were going to be priests. The idea for Israel is that they were going to be, each one of them, each person, their role was the same. They were all going to have a relationship with God, and they were all supposed to have a relationship with the world around them, with the nations around them, and their job was to bring the two together. I want you to know that this morning you, the Bible says the same thing about you in the New Testament. Peter says the same thing. He said, you are a royal priesthood. If you didn't know this already, you are a priest. Not like the collar and the robe and and the incense and stuff like that, but You are a priest in that God has given you, by the grace of God, through Jesus, a relationship with him. And he's given you all these relationships in your life with all these people. And your job as a priest to constantly be bringing them together. You see, what Moses did for Jethro is he said, Jethro, Yahweh. Yahweh, Jethro love for you to meet. That's what he was doing. This, we know that everything we have belongs to God. Our money belongs to God. Our time belongs to God. Our gifts, our talents. And I propose that also every relationship that you have belongs to God. And there's one thing that he wants you to do with it. He wants you to bring those other relationships that you have, those people, into relationship with him. That's what you're here for. You're to be a priest. So, the main thing I want to point out is that Jethro had a relationship with Moses. And that relationship, I I would say, was for the sole purpose of this day where Jethro would come and say, I know now that Yahweh is greater than all gods. Okay? This next part uh, I want to point out, we're going to look at verse 7. Okay? And this is going to be real short and maybe a little simple. In verse 7, it says, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and he bowed down, and he kissed him. All right. Um, oh, sorry, I forgot to mention, by the way, that was the name of the sermon today, is how to win your in-laws to Christ. Okay. Uh, and point number one is you have a relationship with them. But point number two is uh, bow down to them. I'm just kidding. Don't bow. Is there any of y'all ever bowed down to your in-laws before? Okay, well, that was another joke that just didn't land. I said I wouldn't do any more in-law jokes, but there it was. So here's the real point, not that he bowed down, but the point is is that Moses honored Jethro. 
He honored him. And I want you to know this isn't just like some old customary thing like, oh, he bowed down, he kissed him. They, people kissed each other a lot in the Bible. Um, but this isn't just like some old thing that they did. Don't take it for granted that just because it happened a long time ago in the Bible, that that's just what they did. Moses had a good relationship with his father-in-law. We don't just take that for granted. Uh, think about Jacob. He did not have a great relationship with his father-in-law. Uh, those two were constantly trying to deceive each other and lie to each other and uh, take advantage of one another. Moses had a good relationship with his father-in-law, and I think that this gives us a little bit of insight into what their relationship was like. I think that happened because Moses honored Jethro. And the point that I want to make is I think that evangelism and leading people to Christ really becomes so much harder if we don't understand honor. As the people of God, we are supposed to be people of honor and respect. Um, here, here's the point that, that I, would, I would try to make. It's, it's, this seems kind of obvious, but I think we can forget it. Is What I think of whenever I think about this is there are times whenever uh, there, there have been specific times where I've been hanging out with my friends, for example. And um, there was one time in particular that we were getting together and we were talking and hanging out. And, you know, most of my friends are Christians. And uh, we kind of all align uh, politically as well. And so uh, sometimes when we get to talking, we can kind of make fun of people who are not uh, thinking the same way that we are. Um, and uh, don't get me wrong, uh, it's pretty easy to do this. Uh, because, you know, one time we were sitting around, for example, and I think somebody had made, I think it was me actually, made some kind of joke about the whole transgenderism thing. I made some kind of joke about, you know, identifying as uh, a snow leopard or something like that. Uh, that's my, I'm a snow leopard now because I identify that way. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, it's pretty easy to joke about this stuff because it's gotten so ridiculous, right? Like it's pretty, I think everybody in here has probably uh, made jokes like this, stuff like that. Uh, but here's the problem is I was making jokes like this and laughing and uh, talking poorly about, uh, you know, uh, transgenderism, uh, LGBTQ stuff, and uh, I didn't realize that my buddy Paul's 15-year-old sister was in the room who doesn't know the Lord yet, and she's bisexual. And she heard us and she heard me uh, speaking that way about somebody that, about her. That's her. It's her people. That's, that's who she is, or that's who she thinks she is. Let me tell you, uh, it's probably going to be a little bit harder to talk to her about Jesus after she heard the way that I talked about her, her people in front of her. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about watering down the truth here, uh, transgenderism and all this LGBTQ stuff, it's wrong, it's from the devil. Um, but that's not how we want to tell people. <laughs> The Bible says to speak the truth in love, not in jokes. And putting labels on people and talking poorly about people uh, and making fun of them. Uh, and I'm speaking to myself here. This is me. Uh, I probably made jokes like that this week. But if we want to reach people, we have to first honor them. And people can tell if you respect them. People can tell if you honor them. Even if they're not in the room whenever you're saying jokes about them behind their back. And if we want to reach people we first have to learn how to honor them. And, Je and Moses honored his father-in-law, who was a pagan priest. I like, I'm taken back by like some of these guys in the Bible, uh, some of the most evil men that you could think of. 
You think about Nebuchadnezzar. This dude was bad news. He was the king whenever Daniel was a prophet. And, you know, he was, he said, basically bow down to this image or die. Like, he's a horrible person. He's killing people left and right on a whim. If you couldn't interpret his dreams, he would kill you. And he was an evil, evil man. But have you ever looked at the way that Daniel talked to him? He would always address him as, Your Majesty. Whenever he came into his presence, he would say, Oh, King, live forever. Whenever he would get a bad prophecy about him, he would say, Oh, oh King, if only this was for somebody else and not for you. He treated him with honor. And this was an evil... Nebuchadnezzar was way, way worse than Joe Biden. And we say way worse things about Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden. If you come from circles that I do, uh, maybe it's different for you. But we all, I think, have these people that we disrespect. We know for sure that way worse things are talked about about our last president. But here's my point, is that even evil, wicked men... Men of God have always known how to show honor even to the worst of people. And what's the crazy thing is, and Joseph was the same way with Pharaoh. Paul was the same way with the high priest. And what's crazy is Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar eventually came to say the same thing. Nebuchadnezzar said, now I know that God, that Yahweh is the living God. And I just have to know that it was in huge part because of the power of God that Daniel displayed in his life, but also the love of God, the honor, the respect that Daniel showed. And if we're going to lead people to Christ in our lives, they have to know that even if we don't agree with them, even if we don't approve of what they're doing, we need to honor them. We need to show them respect. All right, so um, Moses had a relationship with Jethro, and he honored Jethro but those two things alone are not enough to make somebody come to the revelation of the living God. But this is. Go to verse 8. So after Moses greeted him and they bowed down and they asked each other their welfare and they went into the tent. Verse 8 says, Then Moses told his father-in-law all that Yahweh had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how Yahweh had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that Yahweh had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians. This is the thing that Moses did that led Jethro to believe in the one true God. He told him what God did. That's it. He didn't take the staff and go, hey, watch this. Boom, snake. He didn't turn anything into blood or get any frogs or gnats or anything like that out. He just told him what God had done. And that was enough for Jethro to turn around and say, blessed be the Lord. Now I know. All he did was tell him what God did. I don't know about y'all, but this is very encouraging to me because I think a lot of times, uh, whenever we like think about even considering talking to a family member or talking to a coworker or talking to a friend about Jesus, we kind of start like planning the whole thing out in our head, and we're like, "Oh, what do, 
What if they ask me about creation and evolution? I don't know the answer to that. What if they ask me about why all the bad things are happening, into, happening in the world? I don't, I don't know what to say about that. What if they ask me a question about the Bible I don't understand? And we think that we have to have all these answers, and we, we think we have to know everything about the Bible and about God and all this stuff. Uh, don't get me wrong, I love apologetics. Apologetics is not um, saying you're sorry for being a Christian, but it's the defense of the faith. It's defending the ideas of Christianity. Um, I think apologetics is really important, and I actually love it, um, and there's so much good stuff in it. I think it's really encouraging to uh, dive deep into difficult issues about the Bible and about faith and come out on the other side and see that there's really so much evidence for what we believe. Uh, but I will say that apologetics in itself is not the best defense of the faith. The best defense of the faith is the story of what God has done in your life. A man with an argument has nothing against a man with an experience. My goal is that I'll send my daughter off to college one day, and then she'll get to, uh, <clears throat> and then she'll get to some classroom, and some professor's going to stand up and say, "Yeah, you know, there's no God. You know, you came from uh, nothing, single-celled organism over billions and trillions and billions and chance and all this stuff." And they're like, "This guy didn't see what God did to heal my mom. <laughs> this guy wasn't there whenever um, he transformed my dad's life." Yeah, I wasn't there, whatever, X, Y, Z, because my goal is that my daughter is going to grow up in a church and in a home where she experiences the living God, where there are going to be stories that we're going to tell about what God did, and there's no argument that anybody could pose to her that would convince her otherwise. And she'll say, I know that the Lord is greater than all God. What God has done in your life is the most convincing story. It's the most convincing proof beyond all of the other really good proofs that God is alive. He's real. I had, uh, I, I went to, it was Dadder Day. Uh, that's Mondays for me and Maya. I stay at home and I take care of her. And uh, I went to the park and we were playing on the swing. And uh, I saw uh, another stay-at-home dad walk up. He had his kids and they were coming to the park. And um, they came over, and they started uh, swinging on the swing next to us. And uh, we just kind of started talking about dad things, exchanging recipes and all that stuff. Uh, um, and so me and him and this guy were talking, and uh, we just, you know, the normal thing, like, how old are your kids? You know, uh, what does your wife do? What do you do? And, you know, he said, you know, I went and I was a missionary for a couple of years, and uh, now I work in construction. And so whenever I hear somebody talk about being a missionary for two years, um, I think Mormon. And so I, I asked him, I'm like, so are you uh, LDS, you Latter-day Saint Mormon? And he says, uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, I am. Um, and so we started talking a little bit, and then he asked me uh, what I do. And so, you know, I told him uh, I'm a youth pastor. And uh, he said, okay, so we started talking about spiritual things, and um, and he asked me, um, you know, why did you want to become a youth pastor? And, you know, for me, it, I became a, I wanted to get into ministry like a few years after I met Jesus, but, you know, it all comes back to me for uh, when I met Jesus. And so 
I just, I just started telling him about how, you know, well, you know, God, like, powerfully met me when I was a 15-year-old boy, and I was just hopelessly addicted to pornography, and uh, basically I cried out to God, and God delivered me from it, he just completely took it away. Um, and you know, I, was, I was transparent, you know, I told him, you know, after about a year, you know, it uh, came back, and I had to learn how to walk with Jesus and, uh, you know, get out of that again by his power, uh, kind of working with him. But I told him, you know, even though, it can't, even though I, I went back to it later on, uh, that time when he took it away from me was, uh, it's what really led me to know Jesus. I, I, it, everything changed in my life. Before, I didn't care about God, but after that, like, I just started going to church. Like, every time the doors were open, I told people about Jesus, read my Bible. I just wanted Jesus. I just met Jesus. I, I, what, because of what he did in my life, I knew him then. And so I just kind of told him that story. And um, he just kind of, he got kind of quiet. Um, and I could tell he really didn't know, like, what to say. I could tell he really didn't know what to do with it. Um, and he was kind of, eventually he's like, oh, that's, that's a pretty cool conversion story, man. Um, and we started talking about other things, and uh, we moved on, and we, uh, he, we ended up exchanging phone numbers, and we shook hands, and, you know, he left, and I haven't talked to him since. Um, but I'm really hopeful. Um, I was really happy about the encounter because I could see that it visibly bothered him to hear about what the Lord had done in my life. You know, to him, I am of the Church of Satan, is what uh, the Book of Mormon teaches about uh, Christians. And so God should not be showing up powerfully in, in my life and delivering me in that way. Um, and so I, I just I felt really good that I was able to, to talk to him about that, and I could see that he was thinking about it. Um, and here's the reason, okay? I don't like talking to Mormons a lot of times because I feel like I don't know what to say to them and I'm going to have to convince them and I'm going to have to say, hey, all right, here's why your entire religion is wrong. But really, I don't have to do that. I just have to show him that I have the real thing. One of my favorite... Uh, Luke got us reading this book... Um, it's a book by Frank Laubach and kind of his life uh, being a missionary in, uh, to Islamic people in um, the Philippines. And that's a pretty tough group of people to try to share the gospel with. And he said something that just like whew, blew my mind. And he was talking about going out and trying to witness to them. And he said, <clears throat> start my cry timer. <clears throat> He said, what right have I or any other person to come here and change the name of these people from Muslim to Christian unless I lead them to a life fuller of God than they have now? What right do I have to change these people from Muslim to Christian unless I lead them to a fuller life of God than they have now. And that's really what it comes down to, isn't it? We either have the real thing or we don't. I'm going to be honest with you. If, he's, if that guy at the park, if he's got it, if he's got a life fuller of God than I do, I want what he's got. I'll leave what I have. Because I want God. 
But I do have the real thing. I have seen and I have come to know that Jesus is greater than all gods. And the question is, like, do you know that you have the real thing? People, you are in on the real thing. Do you know that you're full of the Holy Spirit? Do you know that you've come into the kingdom of God? Do you know that you found forgiveness for your sins? Do you know that you're living eternal life now? You got to know it. You got to know that you have the real thing, or else you're not going to want to share it with the guy in the park. You're not going to want to share it with your friends. We just got to know. You know, I, I used to think that uh, evangelism was about being really convincing. If I just like am good enough with my words and I can convince them and show them like in the Bible or in science that, that what I have is the real thing, then uh, you know, maybe I can lead them to Christ. But what I've come to believe now is that I don't need to be so, con- my, my words don't need to be so convincing. My life needs to be convincing. My life. I don't need to have it all figured out and have the arguments. I just need to, all I need to do is walk with Jesus in a really real way every day. He goes on, he says, clearly my job here is not to go to the town plaza and make proselytes try to convert people. It's to live wrapped in God, trembling to his thoughts, burning with his passion. And my loved one, that is the best gift that you can give to your own town. The best way that you can lead the Jethro's in your life to Jesus is you just get closer to Jesus and he's going to transform your life and he's going to do amazing things in your life. And you really won't have to be all that convincing. People will just see the truth of what he's done in you. People will see the miracles in your life. Now I just want to address that voice that's in the back of many of your heads right now and that's yeah, but your story isn't that great. No, you don't have that kind of testimony. You didn't walk through the Red Sea. You didn't get healed of some big disease or delivered from some addiction. I want to tell you that, that voice comes straight from hell. Let me just ask you, maybe you feel like your story is not that big, not that wow, not that important. Um, Why are you here this morning? Why are you here? Some of you, your spouse may have dragged you here and like, that's it. But for the most part, you're here because you've met Jesus in your life and he's done something amazing in your world. I know that people in this room, you have felt the comfort of God in your morning You've seen him provide for you whenever you had nothing. You've seen him help you and overcome the sins in your life. You've really felt and known it to be true that you've been forgiven of your sins. You see, different things I have come to be convinced of, different things bring all of us to Jesus. For me, it was brokenness over my addiction, uh, but Luke is totally different. Luke will tell you that anxiety has brought him closer to Jesus than anything else. I don't struggle with that, but we have, what we have in common is that we both need Jesus, and when we've come to him, he's met us, and he's changed our life, 
And now we have a story to tell. You have a story to tell if you have really met Jesus. And I'll close with this. Maybe you are unsatisfied with how much God has done in your life. Maybe you feel like, I feel like God hasn't done enough. I wish he would have done more. I wish that I had more stories or I wish I could just have more to tell, you know, some stranger in the park or at the grocery store or my in-laws. I'd say, good. Good. Because nobody in here has made it. Nobody in here, whether you're Maya or your Cruz, you have not fully tasted the depths of everything that God can have for you in this relationship with him. There is more of God for you. There is a deeper place with God than you are currently at, and I can say that with 100% confidence for every single person in this room without exception. And so maybe this morning, I think maybe the best way to come to Jesus this morning is, Jesus, thank you for what you've done in my life. I acknowledge what you've done in my life. Thank you for everything you've done in my life. Would you do more? I want to see you more. I want to have more stories to share. I want to have more testimonies. God is not done writing anybody's story here in this room. I want to close just by reading one more time what Jethro said um, after Moses shared with him. I'm just going to turn this into a prayer, I think. If y'all would pray with me or read along with me. Verse 18, or sorry, verse 10. Blessed be Yahweh who has delivered us out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods Jesus we pray now we first thank you for everything that you've done in our lives we thank you for the story that you've written with our lives God we ask that you would do the same with the people around us now we pray that people would bring burnt offerings and sacrifices to you when they hear about what you've done in our lives and we pray Jesus that you would continue to move in power in our world, bring more Jethro's to the knowledge of the living God. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.